Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Colored Red. I know it's been a little while since my last episode, but um, I'm going to try to get a little bit back into this and get a new episode for you guys out every single month. Um, what I have for you today is a really interesting tale. Um, what you're about to hear is a three decades old unsolved serial murder and assault mystery from across the metro area of Denver, Colorado. You may hear these murders called the Denver Hammer Murders, but they're also sometimes referred to as the Bennett Family Murders. But we'll find out that they also include the murder of Patricia Smith. Um, there's not a ton of details to this case, as it's still a cold case, but there have been some fairly recent developments as well as some theories that I'll cover. The Bennett family had just purchased a home in Aurora, Colorado in November of 1983 after moving from a different home several miles away. They were described as a quiet and homebody kind of couple. The family included uh, Bruce Allen Bennett, who was 27 years old, his wife Deborah Lynn Bennett, who was 26 years old, and their two daughters, Melissa, who was almost eight years old, and Vanessa, who was three. Bruce Bennett had spent time in the Navy after marrying Deborah, and between 1976 and 1980 worked at Pearl Harbor as a sonar analyst. Shortly before the murders, uh, Bruce had enrolled in, enrolled in college and was uh, trained as an air traffic controller. The Bennetts worked at a family-owned furniture warehouse at the time of their deaths. On January 15, 1984, one day before the murder, the family had been having an early celebration of their daughter Melissa's eighth birthday. So on January 16, 1984, uh, the Bennett family home was entered by an unknown assailant sometime between midnight and 6 a.m. The man entered the home with a knife and hammer. Bruce fought with the attacker in more than one location in the home, as evidenced by deep gashes and cuts on his arms and body. Bruce was fatally bludgeoned and stabbed on the stairs leading up to his wife and two daughters. Uh, his throat had been cut. Next, the assailant entered the bedroom that Bruce shared with his wife and raped and murdered his wife, Deborah. The man then sexually assaulted and fatally beat Melissa Bennett and shattered the face of three-year-old Vanessa, who actually survived the ordeal. The following morning, Bruce's mother, Constance Bennett, had been worried that no one had shown up to the family furniture business, and she went over to the home to find the grisly scene. So Vanessa, the youngest daughter, was rushed to the hospital where she faced more than 10 hours of facial reconstructive surgery. She suffered multiple fractures and cuts on her face and head. Vanessa's jaw was crushed, sending jagged bones into her windpipe. A police spokesman at the time named Mike Selman indicated that Vanessa had been clubbed repeatedly with a blunt instrument and had lost three to four pints of blood when she was found conscious and crying in the bedroom of the home. An article from a decade after the murders indicated that as of a decade later, Vanessa still required a shunt that was needed to drain fluid from the brain. The remaining family members were found dressed in bedclothes. The mother and daughter uh, were found in the upstairs bedrooms while Bruce was found on the stairs after an apparent struggle inside the bedroom. This information would indicate that Bruce potentially heard the assailant enter the home and meet him on the stairs, or he initially fought with him in the bedroom before pushing him out of the stairs, out onto the stairs and being fatally bludgeoned. Uh, one investigator, Marvin Brandt, remembers walking through the garage door of the home on the morning the bodies were discovered and speaking with another detective who indicated that the scene was quite a mess. So on the night of the attack, there was nothing stolen from the Bennett family home and there were no signs of forced entry. It was possible that a garage door was left open or a door to the home was left unlocked and that was the point of entry, but there are conflicting stories on how the assailant supposedly entered the home. Deborah Bennett's purse was found in the front of the house um, in the yard with the contents spilled into the snow 
and no apparent money taken from that. Um, the bloodstained knife that was used was also found in the front yard, but the hammer was never found. They found hammers in the home, but they were not used in the murder, and they believed that the killer brought his own hammer with him. Parts of the garage floor uh, ended up being removed to preserve a shoe print from the killer, and a laser was used to retrieve some fuzzy fingerprints from inside the home. So the craziest thing about this family murder was that there were no there was no apparent motive for this murder. Constant Bennett had stated that she believed that whoever crept through the potentially unlocked garage door was potentially searching for money or was maybe on drugs, but didn't know the family. Uh, more than 500 people were questioned during the investigation for this, but they could never uncover any leads to solve the case. So curiously, two other hammer attacks occurred in the area where the homeowners were able to fend off the intruder. These attacks all occurred within six days of each other, and all were only several blocks away from Alameda Avenue, um, where the Bennett family was murdered. It's suspected that the killer struck first on January 4th, 1984, when he used a hammer to beat James and Kimberly Hobbins' child. James suffered a fractured skull, and his wife sustained a concussion, and they both survived these attacks. On the same day, a woman was attacked and survived. Donna Holm, who at the time was Donna Dixon, was attacked on January 4th, 1984, after pulling into her garage. Her attacker struck her on the left temple and then raped her on the garage floor. She was hit so severely that she had to relearn how to talk. The bloody fingerprint um, that was found in the Bennett family home links the Bennett murders to the attack on Donna Holm. And she also lived within blocks of Alameda Avenue. Um, a day later, Patricia Smith was murdered with a hammer in her townhome between the hours of 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. It would later be determined that the killer was one and the same by matching DNA samples. So in 2015, a clue was released about the case that could help solve it, potentially. The clue is a set of letters that were transferred from the sleeve of the killer's shirt onto the pajama top of Melissa Bennett. Investigators believe these fuzzy letters could help identify the killer's name or where he worked or maybe the brand of his shirt. Some people believe that since the area around Alameda Avenue in Aurora was under heavy construction at the time, that the killer could have been a construction worker or a transient worker. Marv Brandt, who began investigating the case with other Aurora detectives, claims that the clue could hurt the case more than it could help it. However, the clue was still released to the public, although I have not located a picture of this clue. Uh, one of the reasons for the delayed release was the completely conflicting analysis of the clue um, when it was sent off to two different labs who tried to determine what the letters said. Um, one analysis was conducted by the Arizona Department of Public Safety and the other by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Um, the Arizona lab indicated that the letters are capitals R-I-C-H-A-R, as in Richard, only without the D, and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police claimed the letters most likely spell out P-E-T-A-W-C uh, with a blank between the W and the C that cannot be deciphered due to the fabric on the shirt likely folding. Um, these letters could represent a company, family name, or brand. Investigators say there should have been at least two gaps in the letters, making them hard to decipher. So just to clear up some misconceptions about these murders, some reports and uh, articles that I've seen about these attacks indicate that they all happened within the same area. However, the murder of Patricia Smith was in Lakewood, and while it was still within blocks of Alameda Avenue, it was completely um, on the other side of the city from Aurora. Additionally, given the space between the Patricia Smith murder and that of the Bennett family, it's possible that the killer could have been using the number three RTD bus which runs along Alameda Avenue from Lakewood to Aurora. 
Um, the only other potentially similar case in CBI's cold case files from within a few months around the Bennett family murders is the unsolved murder of Edward Johnson on November 24, 1983, who was attacked by an assailant in his apartment at 720 13th Street and died from blunt force trauma from an unknown object. Um, there's nothing else that I can find about this homicide other than, other than that, so no real connection other than blunt force trauma and a mysterious home entry. Um, again, the motive of that home entry is not clear. The location of his apartment is near a bus exchange area on Colfax, so if the assailant was potentially traveling by bus, then I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he could have made his way up there to this location, um, which is only about two miles from Alameda Avenue. So there were no similar murders reported in Aurora following the Bennett family murders. Um, in June of 2002, former District Attorney Jim Peters um, issued an arrest warrant for John Doe, who was charged with 18 counts, including three counts of first-degree murder, two counts of sexual assault, first-degree assault, two counts of sexual assault in, on a child, and burglary. So this is essentially an arrest warrant for um, an unknown person. Um, in 2016, based on newly developed DNA technology that uses DNA to make a prediction about a person's appearance, the investigation's taken a little bit of a new turn. Parabon Nano Labs has created a way to create composite images of suspects from unknown DNA found at crime scenes. Um, Nano Labs says that they have used the technique in more than 60 different cases as of September 2016, and one has resulted in a conviction. According to Detective Stephen Connor, the suspect is a white male. There is a composite sketch of the supposed suspect online, but I would take it with a grain of salt. Um, as I've stated, I believe um, that the motive in this crime was simply a crime of opportunity rather than passion. So in regards to the phenotype predictions and making the composite sketch, there is an article about the Bennett family murders that brings up the possibility of using this technology on the unknown male touch DNA controversially identified from the underwear of JonBenet Ramsey. So touch DNA is incredibly small amounts of DNA found in skin cells left after an assailant touches a victim. Various concerns with touch DNA include the fact that the samples are so minuscule and may only involve a small number of cells. Any possible contact from anyone with the victim could confound the samples, such as paramedics, investigators, autopsy technicians, and the like. Um, touch DNA, from what I've read about it, is entirely based on skin cells. And as we know, we don't just discard skin cells on things by touching them. Skin cells are falling off of us all the time. Uh, it's kind of gross to think about, but there are skin cells all over our houses, bedding, carpet, and clothing right now. JonBenet was wrapped in a blanket when they found her in the basement, and she was laying on carpet. Any skin cells from the multitude of people who were all in the house at the time, the lab coats of the technicians, to the outfits of the police officers, could have been contributing to the unknown profiles collected from her underwear. So I'm definitely not convinced this is a viable tool to add to any investigation, much less be used to exonerate people, as was done in the case of JonBenet. Additionally, in regards to the use of this technology in the JonBenet case, NanoLabs indicates that the method is usually used in cases where there are no witnesses, um, no suspects, and anyone could be the culprit. And there are definitely three pretty obvious suspects in the JonBenet case. So that's my two cents on touch DNA and the use of it to try to create a, co a composite um, image of a suspect. There isn't any information that I could find about the source of the DNA from the Bennett family and Patricia Smith crime scenes, but everything indicates that it is complete enough to match to someone one day. 
In terms of the composite sketches, I'm not sold of them being accurate enough to actually identify someone beyond maybe race, but it's potentially um, a viable tool to start jogging someone's memory. So now I'll present some additional theories and information that's floating around out there. Um, An article out of the New Sentinel in Indiana from February 7th, 1984, mentions the similarities between the deaths of the Bennett family and the deaths of the Osborne family, who were murdered in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, On the morning of September 19th, 1983, the bodies of 35-year-old Dan Osborne, his 34-year-old wife, Jane, and their 11-year-old son, Ben, were found in their home. Uh, Two-year-old Carolyn Osborne was sexually assaulted and beaten, but survived the assault. The family murders, uh, both family murders occurred in upper-middle-class neighborhoods where the families had only lived for a short time. Both neighborhoods had recently begun organizing crime watch programs. Other violent crimes with possible links to the murders had been committed in the areas around the time of the murders. In Fort Wayne, Indiana, a man named Calvin D. Perry was arrested after being linked to 15 violent incidents in the Fort Wayne area, including several rapes and a murder. The day after the Bennett family bodies were discovered, um, Calvin Perry was found dead in his cell. So he was arrested at the time that these murders did occur. Um, There's no apparent connection between the murders of the Osborne and Bennett family, but the details are so similar and the cases have been compared between police departments of Greeley, Colorado and Fort Wayne, but no official investigation um, has occurred between the cases or has been discussed by the police departments. And again, Calvin Perry was found dead in his cell um, the day after the Bennett family was murdered. And there wasn't a whole lot of conclusion or answers about the the Osborne family murders from him either. Another interesting theory um, from a user named Freshwater um, from the WebSleuths website uh, found an article from the Palm Beach Post suggesting a possible link between drifter Dwayne Eugene Owen, who committed similar crimes in Florida in 1984 to the Bennett murders. Additionally, um, this user, Freshwater, has found an article in the Boca Raton News from September 20th, 1991, where Owen claims to have killed people in Colorado. Um, This user claims to have contacted the Aurora Police Department and heard back from them that they already eliminated Owen in the murder of the Bennett family. In regards to any other potential leads, Detective Connor says that they have had 40 or 50 calls, and they have eliminated many suspects through obtaining their DNA. Uh, Detective Connor's personal opinion that based upon the evidence and a whole bunch of things that come into play, that the guy is probably deceased. And that is basically a direct quote from him. So here's an interesting add-on that I wanted to include in this report, um, just from one of the neighbors of the Bennett family. Um, And I'll just quote a a piece of the column uh, in the Denver Post written by the neighbor named Pius Kamal. And I apologize if I'm not saying that correctly. It's K-A-M-A-U for the last name. A neighbor of the Bennett family at the time of the murders and a general surgeon and commentator on NPR's Morning Edition. He says, quote, We now know the police never forgot. They've identified and indicted a John Doe from from the DNA he so casually left behind in his imagined perfect crime. Indeed, today there is no such thing as a perfect crime. Criminals always leave something of themselves behind, a fingerprint, footprint, or DNA-rich body fluids. And since each human has a particular odor, I foresee a method of someday identifying human smell molecules. In 1984, we didn't move, but we did the next best thing, protect our home. Burglar alarms and guns were impractical with small children in the house. 
Our friendly Irish setter welcomed strangers at the door with her pretty feathered tail. So for a dozen years, we had German shepherds and later Doberman pinchers, whose aggressive majesty and territoriality bailey their love and absolute placidity. With these dogs, the Bennets would never have been surprised by someone in the garage. This is still a murder mystery. I think of the killer or killers. Was this a random act? What was the motive and why the Bennets? Why such violence, knives, hammers, blood everywhere? Why kill the wife and child? And more important, is the killer still around or is he in jail? What does he think or feel, if anything? I suspect we're dealing with a cold-blooded predator who thought he got away with murder. So that's just an interesting piece from Pius Kamal again um, about what your neighbors go through, what people think when there's a murder on their block or their street and they legitimately think that their family could be in danger. And based on the lack of murders after January 16th, 1984, and no hits on the DNA in CODIS uh, at this point, this could mean that either his DNA isn't there yet from a similar crime, or he's deceased, or he decided to end his life of crime after this murder spree, which is a rare thing for criminals to usually do, especially spree killers who apparently just kill for absolutely no reason at all. I'll close this off with some quotes from Vanessa, the surviving member of the Bennett family herself. We know that Vanessa survived the brutal slaying of the rest of her family, and the quotes were featured in a Rocky Mountain News article on January 16, 1994, exactly a decade after the murder. She says, Other kids have normal families. I wish I had a normal family with a mom and a dad and a sister. They say Vanessa has some memories and images in her mind of her mother, father, and sister she lost. She remembers everything around that time. She remembers her dad carrying her through the snowbank to the house. She remembers the Christmas tree and the blue house. Vanessa seems especially to remember her sister and their games of hide-and-seek. When she was a little girl, she used to say, I can see them up in heaven driving a little yellow bug. And Deborah used to drive a little yellow Volkswagen bug. Vanessa also tells people she wants to be a pediatrician when she grows up, inspired, her grandmother thinks, by the people who cared for her when she hovered precariously between life and death. Vanessa has no memory of the incident, and Aurora Police Captain in 1994, Tom Marin, says, If it's not going to lead to anything, maybe we'd prefer that she didn't remember it. Um, So that's it for the Bennett Family Murders, everybody. Uh, I've got some interesting cases coming up. I've toyed with the idea of adding in a sort of short episode at the beginning of the month, every month, that's going to be more historical cases and cases with not a ton of information about them, but are really interesting about the um, start of Denver and the history of Denver, Colorado, and everything else. So we've also got a Colorado serial killer. And maybe some potential victims of Ted Bundy's who were in Colorado um, at the time. So stay tuned, and I hope to see you guys next month. Um, Shout out to Westward and the Denver Post, Cold Case Files, and the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, the Unresolved Mysteries subreddit, as well as the Web Sleuths Forum. I think I've decided I'm going to make a Facebook page, and for every episode that's got pictures associated with it or... Any other details, I'm going to put it up on there, and you guys can go on there and subscribe to the page and take a look at all those pictures and whatever else I've got up on there. So thanks, guys. Bye.